Do you remember Jim Fix? He was an overweight smoker of two packs a day who remade himself into the running guru of the world. His 1977 book, The Complete Book of Running, awoke millions to the health benefits of regular exercise. That's why so many persons today risk their lives jogging along busy roadways. Hi, I'm Mark Timmon, the Healthy Geezer. I have a master's degree in clinical nutrition, and I've been studying the nutrition and biochemistry behind health and disease for over 49 years. If you want to know how to build better health, then this is the place for you. Welcome to the Healthy Geezer podcast. This is episode two, The Fix Fix, Running on Ignorance. And right away, we have a problem. Jim Fix died at age 52 in 1984. While running solo near his home in Hardwick, Vermont, he paused at the side of the road, perhaps to let traffic slip by before crossing over the roadway. Then his heart stopped, and he did cross over. A passing motorcycle found him. What? How could it happen? The event shocked an uninformed public and drew into question the presumed value of running itself. Many began to doubt the worth of regular exercise in any form. They asked, Are we just doomed no matter what we do? No, you are not doomed. You see, what Jim Fix verified is that chemistry is chemistry, or more precisely, that biochemistry is biochemistry. He overate in his youth, plumping up to 220 to 240 pounds, had a semi-stressful job as a magazine editor, and smoked heavily, two packs per day, up to age 35. Before Jim had his epiphany on the value of running, he was an obese workaholic, burning up and sucking down 40 cigarettes a day, more or less. He chose to save himself by running, but any regular form of exercise would have helped. It may have truly saved him if he had changed his diet. On that topic of diet, Jim was clueless. A diet rich in plant foods that includes a variety of fresh, colorful fruits, yellow and green vegetables, all with their attendant fibers, will supply micronutrients that resist inflammation and oxidative damage while helping control the expression of genes that may contribute to the development of cancer or heart disease. Cardiovascular disease, or atherogenesis, has been referred to as vascular cancer because the etiology of both is so similar. The uncontrolled growth of thin muscle cells in the mid-layer of the walls of arteries, the media layer, closely resembles tumor development in full-blown cancer. The bottom line is that the micronutrients found in plants run, balance, and adjust the biochemistry of the cardiovascular system so that it functions in a healthful manner. These micronutrients include vitamins, minerals, polyphenols, plant alkaloids, soluble and insoluble fibers, fatty acids, and more. Jim Fix, instead, relished steaks, hamburgers, french fries, donuts, and many of the ubiquitous processed and invented foods available in the modern American diet. Such edibles, for I will not call them food per se, are devoid of the micronutrients required to support healthy cardiovascular biochemistry. His diet contained ample macronutrients, that is, fat, protein, and carbohydrate, which supplied, in turn, ample fatty acids and blood sugar for the generation of the great amounts of energy required to fuel his 60 miles per week running habit. After he adopted running at age 35, 
demands of that exercise force the release and incineration of fatty acids from stored body fat. Jim lost weight, slimmed down 150 pounds, and looked fit as a fiddle on the outside. But inside, his diet did not provide the micronutrients that we now know have the ability to reactivate foam cells trapped in arterial plaque, heal lesions in artery linings, and decrease blood viscosity. Specifically, key polyphenols from fresh colorful fruits, berries, and green foods were missing. Phospholipids were undersupplied, and the cardioprotective omega-3 fatty acids EPA and DHA were largely absent from his diet. To put a finer point on the last couple of sentences, foam cells start out as macrophages or eosinophils. These are janitorial white blood cells that migrate into arterial tissue to help clean up damage. They may become so engorged with cholesterol and other debris found in atherosclerotic plaque that they can no longer move or function. They become frozen and embedded in the plaque. They have become part of the problem. Certain polyphenols found in grapeseed extract, for example, have demonstrated an ability to reactivate or switch on embedded foam cells, a feat initially discovered by researchers at the University of Nottingham in England. Now, just so I don't lose anybody, let me remind everyone that atherosclerosis is a condition where the arteries become hardened and narrowed because of an excessive accumulation of plaque within the vessel wall. Plaque is a semi-hardened accumulation of substances precipitated from fluids that bathe an area commonly inside an artery. Cholesterol is a key component of plaques on the inner walls of blood vessels. The obstructions can lead to random blood clot formation, heart attack, phlebitis, and stroke. Plaque may also contain red blood cells, broken cellular debris, and protein-bound elements such as calcium and iron. Animal-derived omega-3 fatty acids give us normal yet thinner blood that flows unimpeded through the vascular system. At the same time, they reduce the risk of blood clot formation by changing the chemistry of cell membranes of blood platelet cells and of cells lining blood vessels. Simply put, the omega-3s make them slippery rather than tacky, as they become when the diet is rich in omega-6 fatty acids from grains and vegetable oils. The omega-3 fatty acids I speak of are eicosapentaenoic acid, EPA, and docosahexaenoic acid, DHA. These are the formerly abundantly supplied fatty acids obtained from wild meats and fish that human biochemistry adapted to over the past 4.4 million years. They are now insufficiently supplied by our factory farmed meats and have been largely replaced by the omega-6s. Speaking truthfully, neither all plants nor all meats are healthful. Some are so overloaded with potent, toxic elements that they can justly be considered poisonous. Even the allegedly healthy foods we eat contain toxic or unnecessary components that must be eliminated through the body's normal excretory mechanisms. These include perspiration, exhalation, urination, and defecation. After millions of years of adaptation to the foods around us, however, efficient detoxification is usually easily accomplished. Hunter-gatherer societies are as well informed in food selection as any group living outside modern science can be. They have educated themselves through trial and error to know which plants are healthful, which plants are medicinal, and which plants are deadly. 
Tobacco falls into the last category. You'll recall that Jim Fix smoked 40 cigarettes a day. There are at least 70 known chemicals in tobacco smoke that have been identified as carcinogens and atherogens leading to cardiovascular disease. Three constituents of cigarette smoke have received the greatest attention as potential contributors. They are nicotine, various oxidant gases, and carbon monoxide, identical to the lethal exhaust gas from automobiles. Jim sucked in a lot of that each day. Some research has also investigated the contributions of polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, particulate matter, and other constituents of tobacco smoke to the pathophysiology of cardiovascular disease, including the development over time of atherogenesis, characterized by the degeneration of arterial tissue by fatty, cholesterol-rich deposits within arteries. So let's take a peek at the big three offenders in cigarette smoke and see how they may have perverted Jim's vascular biochemistry. I'll try to keep it simple. First up, nicotine. Nicotine persistently stimulates the sympathetic nervous system, leading to a sustained increase in heart rate. The higher heart rate in smokers is a possible contributing factor to cardiovascular disease, possibly due to the fact that nicotine also constricts cardiac blood vessels, elevating blood pressure. That causes platelet cells to impact the interior surface of blood vessels with greater force and with greater frequency. The likelihood is increased that some of the platelets will stick and falsely initiate the wound healing process when there actually is no wound. An odd lump then forms in the artery wall, eventually breaking through to create a lesion inside the artery. The smoker's body responds by plastering over the lesion with a cholesterol patch in an effort to seal it up. Plaque has begun to form. This is the process that we expect severely affected Jim Fix's coronary arteries. Nicotine may also damage the lining of blood vessels and contribute to blood lipid abnormalities and to insulin resistance at the cellular level. Smoking and the nicotine it delivers are then implicated in the development of both cardiovascular disease and diabetes. That's enough bad news about nicotine. And the news implies that nicotine patches, nicotine chewing gum, and certainly vaping products will still have drawbacks to health. So for someone using nicotine in any form, I recommend supplements of up to 500 milligrams cranberry and pomegranate extracts, plus 3 grams of vitamin C and 15 milligrams of zinc to strengthen and protect the vascular lining, along with 3 to 5 grams of omega-3 fish oils and 240 milligrams of ginkgo biloba extract to make blood less viscous and less prone to clot. Moving on, carbon monoxide is a major constituent of tobacco smoke and, like nicotine, persists in the bloodstream for 24 hours, meaning that a smoker will have elevated carbon monoxide levels throughout the day every day that they smoke. Carbon monoxide readily attaches to hemoglobin, the protein in red blood cells that carries oxygen to every other cell of the body. Carbon monoxide stuck to a smoker's hemoglobin reduces the oxygen-carrying capacity of hemoglobin and impedes the release of oxygen. This is the major reason why smokers are aerobically compromised, easily running out of breath during heavy work or exercise. But running out of breath is a somewhat minor effect of carbon monoxide in tobacco smoke. 
When carbon monoxide-compromised red blood cells deliver oxygen less efficiently to all the cells of the body, red blood cell production by bone marrow is increased because a great number of red blood cells are now needed to meet the steady requirements for oxygen by tissues and organs. More transporters, more red blood cells, are now needed to carry the same amount of oxygen. Well, what a magical body we have. It sounds like bone marrow stepped right up to solve the problem. Or did it? Remember, your brain is in your head, not in your bone marrow. So how wisely did bone marrow respond? In a way, Mr. Marrow is clever. I'll give you more red blood cells so you won't suffocate, he said. Hmm, wise move, altruistic. Smarter than the brain that got the person smoking in the first place. But there is a side effect. Smokers consequently show abnormally large masses of red blood cells circulating through the cardiovascular system. The increase in red blood cell mass increases blood viscosity, making the blood thicker, and sets the stage for random blood clot formation in smokers. The risk of stroke, heart attack, and phlebitis increases. Since Jim Fix had quit smoking 17 years before he died, the effects of carbon monoxide would have been remedied. But the occlusions in critical arteries remained. Perhaps initiated by his earlier heavy nicotine habit, the arterial damage would have been exacerbated by the oxidizing substances inhaled in the tobacco smoke. You see, cigarette smoke delivers a high level of oxidizing chemicals to smokers, including oxides of nitrogen and many free radicals from both the gas and tar phases of cigarette smoke. Exposure to oxidant chemicals in smoke is associated with the depletion of normal protective levels of antioxidants inside a smoker's body, as evidenced by lower blood levels of vitamin C in smokers than in non-smokers, an effect that could be compensated for by supplementation. To the best of my knowledge, Jim Fix used no dietary supplements. Awareness of oxidative damage to cells and tissues has become common knowledge among astute devotees of health and nutrition and has been discussed at length even in the popular media. The initial discoveries of ubiquitous cellular antioxidants in the 1960s by McCord and Fridovich triggered an explosion of research into this most basic of mechanisms protective to the health of every cell in the human body. Moro, Fry, Longmire et al. noted in 1995, how smoking increases levels of lipid peroxidation products in the plasma and urine of smokers. What are those? Peroxides are fatty acids that have been rancidified through chemical compounding with oxygen. They are potent oxidizing chemicals that can fuse lipids and protein together in cell membranes, thereby inhibiting the flow of nutrients into the cell and the flow of waste products out of the cell. Cellular vitality becomes depressed, collectively stealing the vitality of the entire human organism. Peroxides can also negatively impact DNA structure within the nucleus of a cell, possibly triggering either cell death or mutation. Antioxidants from food and supplements, that is, dietary antioxidants, can help protect against these damaging and potentially lethal events. Again, Jim Fix remained unaware of these connections between oxidative stress and cell damage caused by smoking and of the dietary practices and supplementation that could guard against such damage. 
In Jim's defense, almost no one in the public at large was aware of the antioxidant connection during Jim's heyday of 1967 to 1984. Erwin Fridovich and his doctoral candidate, Joseph McCord, first identified a curious cellular protein called orgotine in the mid-1960s, later unraveling its superoxide radical scavenging ability and renaming it superoxide dismutase by 1968 and 1969. In the process of doing so, they identified the antioxidant roles of the triumvirate of innate cellular enzymes present in all human cells, superoxide dismutase, catalase, and glutathione peroxidase. The field of study initiated by Fridovich and McCord has revealed that oxidative stress contributes to several mechanisms of cardiovascular disease, including inflammation, sticky platelets and adhesive arterial linings, damage to those linings, platelet activation, abnormal blood fats, and oxidation of low-density lipoprotein into one of the most potent atherogens ever discovered. Cigarette smoke contains a number of metals, including aluminum, cadmium, copper, lead, mercury, nickel, and zinc. Two of them, copper and zinc, are ironically useful in the structure of superoxide dismutase, the others are not so useful. Serum levels of cadmium and lead are elevated in smokers and are implicated in the development of hypertension and of the suffocation of heart muscle through oxygen deprivation called myocardial infarction. Unfortunately, the metabolic load of the heavy metals in cigarette smoke trigger and accelerate the oxidation of cellular proteins. These catalytic reactions by themselves may lead to structural damage notably to the lining of arterial walls, even so far as detaching cells from the interior walls of blood vessels. We can see that the mixture of metals and oxidants from tobacco smoke presents a major biochemical attack against the lining of arteries. Gases from the tar-derived portion of tobacco smoke are rich in polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, for example, benzo-A-pyrene, 712-dimethylbenzaanthracene and butadine. These poisonous compounds of tobacco smoke are strong oxidants that are known to accelerate the development of atherosclerosis through mutation, followed by overgrowth of smooth muscle cells. Hmm. Maybe I didn't keep that explanation as simple as possible. I apologize. The geek got the better of me. I'll summarize. This is what would have brought down Jim Fix, because he did not take steps to improve his chemistry and support the reversal of the damage that had been done while he was a smoker. The hydrocarbons, heavy metals, and oxidants in tobacco smoke create such oxidative stress and damage to the cells that make up the lining of arteries that lesions or cracks in the linings appear. It begins somewhat like a scratch or a mat burn or a scrape on your elbow, but happens on a microscopic scale inside arteries. Blood platelets may attach to the artery wall at the site of the lesion, secreting the hormone-like chemical thromboxane. Thromboxane seeps down to the muscle layer of the artery wall, where it tells the muscle cells to duplicate themselves rapidly in order to heal the injury. The body simultaneously sends cholesterol to serve as a band-aid to quickly seal up the top portion of the lesion. The rapidly growing muscle cells create a lump inside the artery wall, 
The sticky cholesterol and sticky blood platelets that have now collected on the site of the injury to the blood vessel lining begin to collect red blood cells, circulating iron and calcium plus other materials from the blood. Plaque has begun to form. The thickening blood vessel wall forces the growing amount of plaque upward, narrowing the opening within the blood vessel. In a smoker, their mass of red blood cells and the thicker viscosity of their blood tremendously increases the risk that some of those blood cells will clump together, forming a blood clot that may lodge anywhere within the circulatory system. Of course, the greatest likelihood is that the clump of red blood cells will jam itself into a narrowed space in an artery where plaque has formed. If that should happen in one or more arteries feeding the heart, the sudden loss of blood flow that results can lead to sudden death. And that is what happened to Jim Fix. We can expect that the linings of Jim Fix arteries were marked with cracks, patches of dead cells, and growing plaque. It would have required an exemplary, disciplined diet of fresh, whole foods, minus red meat, and enriched with the right supplements to have restored his vasculature to a healthy state over several years. The three main arteries leading to his heart were 95%, 85%, and 70% blocked by arterial plaques. His autopsy showed that Jim had had at least three heart attacks weeks before the one that killed him. His other arteries were also constricted with plaque in multiple locations. It didn't happen overnight, but took years to develop, undoubtedly continuing through his running years. This is, barring significant genetic interference, irrefutable chemistry. Without the proper micronutrients, artery walls will not remain strong. Platelets will be neither slippery nor function properly. The stage is set for mortal cardiovascular events manifested as the formation of plaque in arteries and coronary blood vessels, as well as an elevated risk for random blood clot formation anywhere in the body. Jim Fix erroneously believed that he could eat what he pleased and then simply burn it off. After all, he had run off many pounds of body fat, but fat is a macronutrient along with protein and carbohydrate. They are either slowly or quickly converted to glucose, blood sugar, or free fatty acids that are converted to energy in the mitochondria of every cell. Fat, protein, and carbohydrate are not the antioxidants, trace elements, and minerals, polyphenols, vitamins, saponins, or alkaloids that make up the broadening class of micronutrients. Research into these bioactive food substances is finally illuminating the vital roles of so many of them. Momentum behind the new research began during the early days of Jim Fix's notoriety and has come to public attention since his demise. So now we have come to recognize how essential this expanding group of micronutrients is to the proper function of each little corner of human biochemistry. Jim Fix regrettably missed many of them in his daily diet. So was he a victim of ignorance? Only partially. For the great heart-saving omega-3 fish oil supplements were only introduced in 1980. It took another 30 years for enough people to understand them and make them the number one selling dietary supplement. Back in 1984, awareness of the benefits of fish oils was still seeping out to the public at large. 
Yet even back in the 1960s and 1970s, it was evident that diet directly affects health. Indeed, sensible dietary advice has been available since the time of the ancient Greeks. No, more than ignorance, it may have been personal hubris that ultimately took Jim Fix. What we know, or what we think we know, based on current knowledge, can be wrong. Later information can controvert what we know. Humans have a difficult time with this natural course of events, where certainty is cast into question and then replaced by a new certainty. Psychologists refer to it as cognitive dissonance, the seemingly innate inclination to disbelieve a piece of information that flies in the face of a piece of knowledge or belief that we hold dear. We all too often get stuck and can't absorb truth. Jim Fix frequently referenced Dr. Thomas Bassler, M.D., who had claimed that any non-smoker fit enough to run a complete marathon in under four hours would never suffer a fatal heart attack within six years of having run the marathon. Dr. Bassler was a California pathologist born, interestingly enough, in 1932, the same year as Jim Fix. Bassler was an early proponent of the benefits of regular exercise and of marathoning in particular, especially for their role in promoting cardiovascular health. What he had seen on the pathologist's examination table informed many of his judgments, and by 1969, he became the editor of a new journal of the American Joggers Organization General, renamed a year later the American Medical Jogging Association. By 1974, Bassler, in concert with other physicians, was actively promoting running and marathoning. At the time, the established view of the best way to resolve cardiovascular health, as put forth by the American Heart Association, was still based on lowering the intake of dietary cholesterol to manage heart disease. The more orthodox viewpoint was that the role of exercise in restoring cardiovascular health was unproven. But the idea that exercise is more potent in modifying cardiovascular disease than any other treatment modality was beginning to catch hold. Jim Fix, who paid close attention to Dr. Bassler and donned his running shoes in 1967, played a significant role in carrying that message into the future. Dr. Bassler and his associates were not quacks by any means. They took care to test the blood of ultra-long-distance runners in a search for telltale cardiac enzymes that would be released into the blood if damage had occurred to the hearts of the long-distance runners they chose to monitor. Tests showed no significant changes in levels of the specified cardiac enzymes, indicating that heart tissue had not been damaged by the overcharged stress placed upon the heart during 26-mile, 50-mile, and 100-mile runs. Bassler and his close associate, Dr. Jack Scaff, especially were evangelists for exercise and running as a means to establish heart health. But they were not reckless, basing the recommendations on scientific data and testing that supported the value of running, walking, and exercise. The experts of the time, as expressed through the American Heart Association, thought they were wrong. Bassler and Scaff's work has been verified and expanded upon over the decades that have passed, while the theory of cholesterol as cause of heart and cardiovascular disease continues to lose ground under the evidence from newer research. This is just one example of how expert advice and most up-to-date knowledge can recast itself over time. Here's the lesson. We must all be prepared to abandon knowledge and presumptions in the face of newer 
more sound evidence. Jim Fix only got part of the message, however. He learned and knew how valuable running could be for him to overcome the damage he had done to his body by smoking while leading a sedentary lifestyle. What he failed to pick up from Dr. Bassler was the good doctor's respect for the role of diet in the establishment of cardiac health. In 1979, Dr. Bassler published The Whole Life Diet with co-author Robert E. Berger. It proposed a healthful diet of whole foods for one's whole life. Somehow, Jim Fix missed that key point. He was personally inclined to donuts, burgers, and any food that caught his fancy, believing he could run off any potential ill effects from the foods he ate. On the outside, the plan appeared to work. He looked good, but inside was another matter, as his autopsy showed. Had he followed Dr. Bassler's dietary advice as assiduously as he had followed his running advice, Jim Fix may have been able to reverse his atherosclerosis. By 1976, the biochemistry of plaque formation was at last understood. Up until then, the medical consensus was that plaque, once formed, would remain permanently in place. But after 1976, researchers began to realize that medical and dietary steps could be taken to first halt the progression of the disease and then slowly begin to remove the plaque, opening the vascular system to the free flow of life-sustaining healthy blood. A cornerstone of the program is a diet rich in plant foods, lean proteins, and some whole grains. Although I take issue with the inclusion of grains today, such diets had been widely advocated for health in the United States at least since the beginning of the 20th century by Dr. Hay, Bernard McFadden, Paul Bragg, Bernard Jensen, Gaylord Hauser, and others who followed them. All the early health gurus could have benefited from better science, and some could have engaged in less showmanship and hyperbole. Nevertheless, today we know of a number of dietary supplements that may enhance the reversal process. They include older dietary supplements, such as lecithin and nutritional yeast, to more recent botanical extracts of grape skin, grape seed, ginkgo biloba, horse chestnut, and butcher's broom. Omega-3 fish oils are essential. Tocotrienols, part of the vitamin E complex, fibrinolytic enzymes, magnesium, curcuminoids, and other botanical anti-inflammatories are important. And, of course, we condroitin forget good old vitamin C and chondroitin sulfate A. Three grams a day of the latter clears blood fats, reduces plaque, and restores flexibility to arterial tissue, as demonstrated in landmark research conducted at Loma Linda University in the 1960s and reported in the early 1970s. You see, it pays to be a geezer. I've picked up some great information over the years. I also know that the dosage regimen for each of the micronutrients I mentioned should be tailored to the individual based on his or her dietary habits, lifestyle, genetics, family history, medical history, and microbiome. A runner who followed a more healthful diet offers a counterpoint to Jim Fix. Larry Lewis passed away in 1974 at the age of 106 from, given his advanced years, the sudden appearance of liver cancer. Up until the relatively short term of his illness, Larry ran 6.7 miles through Golden Gate Park in San Francisco almost every day of his life. 
He had been a guest on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson in the early 70s, joking about how he dared not buy green bananas because he might not live long enough to see them ripen. But Larry did eat bananas and quite a lot of other good, healthy, natural, whole foods. The former circus performer for P.T. Barnum and 33-year assistant for Harry Houdini understood the value of what had been called natural culture and hygiene in his youth. He ate real foods, and his biochemistry responded with kindness. To wrap this up, Jim Fix provides a cautionary tale. We have to examine our historical and cultural relationship with food. Our ready acceptance of sensory pleasure has led us astray. Food's main role is not to please us or even taste good. Food is not supposed to be easy to obtain. Food is meant only to sustain us. Food is not entertainment. As nutritionist Richard Talbot used to say, Eating is a duty. One must get one's recreation elsewhere. We humans are, after all, seething bags of chemicals infused with consciousness, and our chemistry should be honored. If it is not honored with the macro and micronutrients it must have, then the reactions that give us life and health cease to function properly or may cease to function altogether. Lest I begin to sound too much like a curmudgeonly old geezer, I will close by reminding you that the creativity locked inside the human mind can and does make healthy food tasty, pleasurable, a whole lot easier to hunt and gather than in the old days, and yes, even entertaining. So it is possible to fulfill one's duty to feed your chemistry right, while also entertaining yourself with flavorful foods in all kinds of social settings. Just be sure to prepare and eat fresh whole foods, relying on supplementation to address special dietary needs. Thank you for listening. Our theme music is by the Camden Jazz Trio. You can find episodes of the Healthy Geezer podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and wherever you go to access podcasts. Episodes as well as written transcripts are also available at our website, www.marktimmon.com. If you like what you hear, please tell a friend to tune in to the Healthy Geezer podcast, and be sure to subscribe by hitting the subscribe button on your podcast directory's platform. If you have questions, I will do my best to answer them. Just send an email to mark at marktimmon.com. That's Mark with a K and Timmon with one M, all as one word, M-A-R-K-T-I-M-O-N.com. This episode was brought to you by www.ellenonline. Ellen, spelled simply E-L-I-N. At ellen.online, you find enlightened supplements illuminating the world.